Thank you, Matt. Yes, I, I love attention. That was amazing. Um, uh, so, <laughs> um, I don't know about many of you, but uh, so for any, of you, for any of you that I haven't gotten to meet or spend much time with, my name is Eric. Um, this is my daughter. She might be running around. I've got Jenny and Joe and Whitney back there. Um, so if I haven't gotten to meet you or talk to you very much, please um, come up and say hi. Uh, don't be shy. Uh, but I don't know how your year has started. This first week of the year has been absolutely crazy for us. Uh, we, oh, thank you. Thanks. Um, we started, uh, we closed on a house this week and we started updates on that. So like house life has been crazy. It's the first week of the year. And so work life is busy. We live in a house with a two and four year old. So just life, life is busy. Um, and in the midst of all of this, I'm trying to figure out and prepare whatever I'm going to say for this here. Um, and this, as you can, might be able to tell, this is out of my comfort zone. So this is really hard for me. Um, and so it, it took a lot. And by Wednesday of this past Wednesday, the day before we're closing on our house, I still had no clue what I was going to talk about. I had uh, I'd gone through a lot of stuff in my head, just couldn't figure out what I wanted to say. And so Whitney recommended I just go for a drive, get out, clear my head. Uh, and I found myself just sitting in an empty parking lot at like 1130 at night trying to figure out what I wanted to talk about today. Um, and as I was sitting there, I realized exactly how long it had been um, since, I, since I had done that, since I just sat alone with God and, gave him, and had given him undivided attention. And just the um, Matt's message last week about just being with God and being here was kind of speaking to me and, and I, I was remembering that. And um, as I focused that attention on just being with God, I could feel like just the sense of the sense of gladness from him um, that that I would take the time to do that. And that that stuck with me because I was like, OK, you know, God doesn't need my time. He doesn't need me to sit there with him, but he does enjoy it. And that kind of gave me um, best thing. I mean, best thing was that that just gave me courage to continue on and figure out exactly what I wanted to kind of talk about and share today. Um, and so as I was sitting here trying to figure it out, um, like I said, that be here was popping in my head and I, I couldn't get it out of my head. And so I went back home, I talked with Whitney, I was talking to her about what I wanted to share, and I told her, I feel like I need to share something about be here, but I can't figure out where and like what it relates to in my life. And she was like, well, what if it's just missing from your life? Okay, well, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. That's why I can't find it. Um, and so that, that's kind of what I want to focus on here is just this idea um, of, uh, well, I'll get, I'll get into that. So the, um, I want to use a, a reference this morning from Mark. Um, so if you've got a device, Bible, it's going to be Mark um, 14. <laughs> uh, it's Mark 14:32. And for uh, background, this is right after the Last Supper. 
right after um, Judas is gone, Jesus has said somebody's going to betray him. They're getting ready to go to Gethsemane. And so uh, it says, Then they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit down here while I pray. Took with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be struck, and, and he began to be struck with terror and amazement and deeply troubled and depressed. And he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sad and overwhelmed with grief, so, so much so that it almost kills me. Remain here and keep awake and be watching. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and kept praying that if it was possible, the fatal hour might pass from him. And he was saying, Abba, which means Father, everything is possible for you. Take away this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So a lot, I know a lot of been, there's so much stuff out there about that. The end of that, not my will, but your will. Much smarter people than me have talked about that. Um, I actually want to focus on the part before about um, where he asked his disciples to just kind of sit with him. Um, and so he, he knows what's coming. He knows what he's got to do. He knows that this is going to hurt him. He's going to be torn away from his father. He knows what, what's coming up. And what he asks is he asks his friends and his community to sit there and be with him. Um, and, and that's just it. He asks them to be here. Keep watch, pray, be here with me. And then he goes on and he, go, and he goes through his struggle. The... The other thing that um, that we see with this is that he doesn't necessarily ask them to come with him into his struggle, but he does let them just kind of sit and be there. And then he goes on and does and struggles and, and goes through and prays to God and prays to his Father and and. With, uh, you read on, he does the, I think in another book, talks about him having so much, he sweats blood. And then, of course, he comes back and he finds his disciples asleep. And his community has slept on him. Um, does that three times and goes on. So, I'm going to keep that in mind. I want to come back to it. Uh, but I'd like to give just a little bit more of a backstory as kind of... Why this, why, this, why this verse was kind of on me today. Um, so if, when I was thinking about my spiritual journey through life, I realized that it was actually really, really boring. Um, and like I, I didn't have much going on for it. Um, I, was, I was raised in church. I, my parents started out fairly conservative in their theology. By the time I hit middle and high school, it was more progressive and liberal. Um, not, you know, still fairly conservative, but they're working there. Um, and so by the, in middle and high school, I got really involved with church. The church we were at had a, good, had a big youth group, did all the, you know, mission trips, retreats, everything, everything that you could do in the typical um, evangelical church in a youth group. Um, and the, really nothing, you know, baptism was in there, like there or, no, rebaptism was in there, rededication, all of that stuff was in there, but nothing really stuck out to me. And so finally I ended up at just a small Christian university for the first couple of years. Um, and that, you know, that was kind of it. I, I, I don't want to play down that, that kind of journey. Um, you know, it, it has its part, and I'm sure I could dive into any part of it and 
I could find something of value to talk about, but from my perspective, there's really not much to say up to that point. Um, and so what I started looking at was up until the time I was about 20, I was kind of stuck in just a spiritual bubble uh, in an echo chamber. And so there, uh, af- at this point, uh, when I right second year of university, uh, right around 20, I got a chance to do a study abroad. And it was through the Christian University, so it was a Christian program. They, you know, they had um, a lot of religious talks uh, with different religions uh, on the study abroad. But the group of students was supposed to be foundationally Christian. They all came from Christian universities. Um, but when you get that many people together from across the country, of course, you're going to have tons of different beliefs. Uh, and so having these conversations with both Christians that believe something different than me and non-Christians that believe something different than me, that semester actually stretched me more than the entire of my 20 years prior was just these conversations with people. Um, And, you know, so though these conversations were stretching me, I was kind of feeling that something wasn't right in my in my own personal life or my own personal journey with God. And that kind of opened me up to this, the, probably the turning point in my spiritual life, which turned out to be a lecture that we had. Um, and it's, it was a single lecture from uh, a lawyer named Jim. And I never met this guy before, but, and I really didn't have very many conversations with him at all. So I knew this guy for about an hour and he completely changed my life. Uh, and I'm sure he doesn't even know that today. But what he talked about was really interesting. Um, so from, from the lawyer perspective, he was able to, he went through the three, kind of three tenets of religious diversity. Um, you know, you've got religious exclusivism where there's one path to God. If you're not on that path, you're out of luck. Uh, religious inclusivism one path to God, but if you're not on the path, you're still okay. And then religious pluralism, where there's a lot of paths to God, and they're all okay. Uh, and the interesting thing that he did was he spent 20 minutes exactly on each of those topics, and he started at the beginning, and he argued logically, he had very valid logic argument, logical arguments for each of those tenets. And he, at the end, concluded each one was valid. And he used, he used uh, spiritual arguments, he used scripture, he used historical context, he used church, um, uh, church precedent to argue each of those tenets. And at the end of it, you know, all of us were just kind of dumbfounded, be like, okay, so which one's right? And, and you know, and we, we asked him, he said, so which, which one do you believe? He said, well, I'm not going to tell you. And we're like, well, which one should we believe? Well, I'm not going to tell you. And then he left. And so we were left there with this idea of, okay, you can argue logically and every single one of these seems to be valid. So where, where do we go from here? Um, and what, what his arguments were exactly, I don't, I don't really remember. I looked up notes. I, it's actually probably for the good. I don't have those notes. Um, but that it's not re- that's not really the important part. Um, the important part is that he was able to do this, 
and it made sense, and it had an impact on us. Um, and so for, for those of you who don't know, I am, I am an extremely logical person. Uh, logical and pragmatic, pretty much to a fault. And, you know, one of the things was like in high school, in the high school youth group, they did a bunch of series on like apologetics, where they teach you how to argue your Christian faith, which looking back at it, you know, makes a lot of sense. Let's go show God's love by teaching high schoolers how to yell at people about God, you know, like that. But um, so I was really uh, I was I prided myself on the apologetics in high school. I thought I had a good foundation because I knew all these facts. I could argue this logically. And then this guy comes in and within an hour, he completely destroys it all. And so the, it, this lecture just hit me so hard because obviously my, um, my foundation was not, was not where it should be. I didn't know where it should be, but it wasn't correct because typically a foundation should hold up no matter what it comes against. So where, where do I go from here? Um, you know, and to be honest, like it, it took, um, it, at, right after that lecture, I had months and months of deconstruction, destruction, like trying to figure out where I should go. Like I, I didn't know the next steps. I didn't know what to do next. Um, it, I've, I've compared it to just having a wrecking ball come through and destroy 20 years of belief and having nothing to show for it. And so what I decided to do with my logical brain, um, and I, I, I do feel like there is room for logic in religion. I mean, my, my logical argument for that is God made me logical, so I should be able to use that logic. Um, but... So I, I try and approach things a little bit logically, especially starting out, because I, I, didn't, I didn't know what else to do. So I decided to start with two foundational beliefs. I, I, widowed, I, I completely tore everything down except for two foundational beliefs. These, um, and I, I, called them, I called them my like faith axioms, which are just things that I don't have to prove. So I should never have to be able to... Um, have them shaken. It doesn't really matter what somebody says. They're, I'm never going to have to reevaluate these two facts. The first one was that there was a God. Like that, <laughs> I went back to the very basics. There is a God. Okay, that's one. Number two, he cares about me. Experience in life, I was able to pull from and get down to those two. I didn't even go as far as to say God loves me. God, you know, God has a plan for me. Nothing like that. Just Get it down to there is a God and he knows and cares for me. Okay, so from there, what, what does that look, you know, how do I go from there? Over the next few years, I start doing, a, I struggle with a lot of things uh, and I start looking at and building up from there. So it's like, okay, if God cares about me, that means he cares about other people. I'm not unique, so he's got to care about somebody else. If he cares about somebody else, how do I then... What, what does that do for my relationship with that person? How do, how do I interact with them? Um, and so what I would do is I would kind of figure out the beliefs like that, go back to scripture, make sure that they stood up with Jesus' teachings. If they didn't, backtrack. 
scrap it, start over again, you know, and just kind of go through it that way until I build up this a little bit more of a foundation. Um, now, th- this process did not, did not happen right away and was not easy. Uh, for, those, for those that knew me during this time, uh, I've been told that I was clinically depressed and went into like a complete downward spiral. I really didn't have any friends during this time, didn't have much of a community. I didn't want to be involved in a church um, because I had these nagging questions of, am I acceptable to God in this? I don't even know, I don't know what I believe. So am I acceptable in this state? Do I need to just kind of remove myself, sit on the sidelines, figure myself out, and then get back into it? Or is there a place for me while I'm doing this? Um, and so it was, while I was trying to figure out these questions, uh, I met Whitney, we got married, I started sharing the struggles that I was having and figuring out what it was. It turns out she was also kind of in a reconstruction phase, and so she was extremely sympathetic towards it, and we decided to get involved in a small local church wherever we were. Um, tried to, decided to put ourselves out there, uh, see how it went. So we got involved in a small group, met a really great group of people, met with them like once or, you know, probably a couple of times a month, uh, got involved with the church. We were there for about six months of really trying to dive into this. Um, and we, we were really enjoying ourselves. And we decided to uh, sit down with the pastor of the church and kind of explain where we were at. Because we were like, okay, we, we've got these questions, these nagging questions that we need to ask. We don't know where to go. We also had questions about the church, where, what their vision was. Um, and so we just wanted to sit down with them and ask them. So we told them all of this, told them where we stood, uh, and told them like, these thoughts and questions and said, where, what do we do? Um, you know, do you have any references and uh, any way that we can kind of continue on? And he told us that if these were the kinds of issues and thoughts and questions that we had, he would help us find a different church because we didn't belong at this one. Um, and obviously that was a, that was really hard to hear, uh, especially where we were at. Um, it just, it really, really rocked us. This community that we had invested so much time and energy in got built up so much into, um, just essentially told us we weren't welcome. And it wasn't because we had done anything. The only thing we had done was we had said, hey, we're at this spot in our journey. We have these questions. What, you know, what, and we, we don't know what to do next. Um, and, and then they said, I'm sorry, go away. <laughs> um, and so this still, this really still affects us today. Uh, we've been trying to pick up the pieces from this for, that, that was nine, almost nine years ago now. And we're still trying to pick up the pieces from this. Um, so for about three to four years after that church, we had a lot of, we, we really couldn't trust any church that we visited. We visited a bunch of different churches and we, we just couldn't, we would always find a reason to try a different church. And I think the root of it was we didn't trust any of them. Um, and, and on top of that, when we did find ones that we liked, if we went there for a few weeks, we really held ourselves back. Because why would we want to put ourselves out there again 
and get rejected because it's not like we had solved our problems. We were still in the same spot spiritually. So we were going to, we really held back what was going on in our minds and our spirits and everything. And then you fast forward to uh, like six or seven years ago, we found the avenue, turned into one church. We've, you know, we've stayed here. We, we still kept ourselves at arm's length. We got much more involved. We made, much, we made a lot more friends. But we, we kept all of our personal struggles to ourselves. We, we, really, we were really afraid of losing what we had again. Um, and, and we kind of um, reasoned it, not reasoned, but um, we kind of told ourselves that it was okay because, like, even if we shared it with people, what could they do? You know, th- this is a personal spiritual journey. I mean, nobody can tell me how I'm going to build up my faith back from, the, you know, these foundational beliefs. So what, what really could anybody do? So let's just, you know, work on it ourselves. Um, and so from there, it was like, okay, well, what, what next? Um, and it wasn't until about two, three years ago, I started working with a spiritual director which, by the way, we've got spiritual directors here in the church. If anybody is interested in one, I highly recommend them. Um, and so I started to realize, going through just being able to get things off my chest, talk about it with somebody who could listen, I started to realize a couple of things about my, my journey and my life. Uh, and I realized that, one, uh, I was really kind of looking at this reconstruction as a phase as I need to get through this so that I can move on with my spiritual journey. And I don't know, I don't know if that's the right attitude to have about it. Um, because even, you know, even nowadays, it's, okay, I think I know I take two steps forward, and then sometimes I got to go ten steps back. And so nowadays, it's like, okay, well, maybe, maybe this is part of the always becoming that we've talked about. Maybe this is not a phase that I have to get through. But this is what it looks like for the journey. That, yeah, there's a lot of deconstruction that has to happen. And that's okay. And there's going to be some reconstruction that happens. Um, and so I realized that I didn't have to rush this process. I could sit in this. Um, and then the second thing that I realized was that community does have a role to play. We thought that, you know, okay, it's a personal journey. We're going to keep it to ourselves. Um, but, but there is, there is this role that a community can play in a personal journey. And I think this is exactly what we see, uh, in that passage with Jesus and his, and his community. Uh, he, he has this, how does he say it? He says, uh, my soul is exceedingly sad and overwhelmed with grief. And that, that's what he brings to the community. And that's it. That's all he tells them. He doesn't tell them what's going to happen. He doesn't tell them, you know, what, what he thinks he has to do or what his next steps are. All he does is he tells them what he's feeling, and then he leaves it at that. And so they, they, don't, they don't even see the struggle that he does. You know, he goes out and he has this huge struggle trying to figure out and, and this conversation with God. They don't see that. They're asleep. They don't really see any of that. So... But he's still trusting them 
to be there, to be with him, to, to watch, to pray. And so community doesn't have to have answers. They don't have to be there. They don't have to solve your problems. They honestly don't even have to be a part of the solution. But they can be there. And that's the biggest, that's really the biggest thing that I found is that even if somebody is just there, you know, preferably they have a little bit more coffee than the disciples and stay awake a little bit longer with you. But, you know, they can be there with you. They can sit and watch and pray. And so that's, I think that's what I've, that's kind of the, um, the conclusion that I've come to with the community is that the way to invite, one of, one of the ways, I'm not going to say this is all of them, but one of the ways that we can, um, one of the ways that they can help us is that as we're going through this struggle, sometimes, and not all the time, but there is a, there is a very particular time that it's healing to share that struggle, to share that struggle with your community. You know, so even like for me here, like even though my struggle has been, you know, six years in the past or longer, even sharing it after the fact still has that healing aspect to it. And so there's, there is a, another role that community can play. So that, I, that kind of brings us up to today. And so I, I do just want to kind of leave with three thoughts from my story here. Um, the first was that if, if you are currently or looking at the possibility of deconstruction or reconstruction in faith, it's okay. It's really okay. It's, it's hard. It takes a very long time. But I did find that keeping, keeping the foundation as anchored in God's love is the key. That even, even if everything else goes away, that is a foundation that you really can't lose. Uh, and then the second thing was that if you, if you are in that spot of deconstruction and reconstruction, please don't shy away from community. Um, and I, I have to, I, I have to, I have to admit that that's hard. I, I couldn't do it. I failed at that. But staying in community is necessary for that. So surround, surround yourself with community, friends, people that are comfortable just being, just being with you. Um, and then lastly, I do want to offer just a, as a community, I want to make sure that we're a place where it's okay that people can struggle and be at different places in their journey. Um, even, even if that looks way out in left field for us, you know, and doesn't look anything like what we're used to, we can still be here. And it's honestly, it's not even our job to say, okay, let's come out of left field. You know, that person, whoever it is, they will get, they can even stay out in left field. You know, it's really, our job is to just be there with them. Um, and we don't have to see that process. You know, we can just, the biggest thing is maintaining our openness. I think that from Jesus' example, the biggest thing we can do is to just sit and pray, keep watch, and be here for each other. Um, and so let me, just, let me just close with a prayer. My Father, I just thank you so much for um, 
meeting us. When we say we, you know, when we just come to you and we are with you, you meet us exactly where we're at. It doesn't matter if we're way out where nobody else understands what we're going through. You are right with us. Um, I just pray that anybody that feels that distance, they know you're here. They know that they have a community that can accept that. And Father, I just pray that we would be that community that can be here for each other. And it's in your name I pray. Thank you so much for this morning. Amen.